Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Sheila Kohler. Sheila is the author of 10 novels, three volumes of short fiction, a memoir, and many essays. Her most recent novel is Dreaming for Freud with Penguin, based on the Dora case. Her memoir, Once We Were Sisters, is just out with Penguin, as well as Canongate in England. She's won numerous prizes, including the O. Henry twice, and been included in Best American Short Stories, most recently in 2013. Her work's been published in 13 countries, and she's taught at Columbia, Sarah Lawrence, Bennington, and at Princeton since 2007. Her novel Cracks was made into a film with directors Jordan and Ridley Scott with Eva Green playing Miss G. You can find her blog at Psychology Today under Dreaming for Freud. Welcome, Sheila. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your program. I'm very happy to have you, and I want to just start by saying what a very beautiful book your memoir is. Uh, the the it's it's really a very beautiful book, and I hope people will go read it, um, especially after after hearing you talk about it. Um, I I wanted to I thought a good way to start really was to read the. Um, the introduction to you that you have on your website because it puts us squarely in the in the um, territory of this show. What what happened for you with losing your sister, which is what that what the book is ultimately about. You say when my sister died a violent death thirty years ago in apartheid South Africa, my writing took a new turn. I was driven to explore the reasons for violence within intimate relationships, in particular, the abuse of power and privilege. And, um, you know, that's sort of, uh, when I read that, I thought, my gosh, everything you've written has then come from that experience. So, so meaningful to me. Um, What what were you writing before that time? Well, um, I had always wanted to be a writer, but uh, I hadn't really written, or certainly I hadn't published anything until then. But when my sister died, um, I was in a rage, uh, in a sense. Um, I felt very guilty, too, I think. And it just propelled me to the page. Uh, I wanted to say... um, Poor me, poor me, unjust, unfair. Mm. Uh, and so I, in about three months, I wrote a novel and uh, sent it out uh, to, um, I don't even remember the publisher now, who I sent it to, but uh, it came back very quickly uh, and was turned down. And I called them up and I said, well, why didn't you, t- why didn't you take my book? Uh, which I, I was so ignorant and innocent that uh, when, and, the and, pa- was, and and passionate about uh, the book right. yeah, sure. and she, she was nice enough to uh, take my call uh, and she said well it just wasn't good enough and she said after all how could it have been how long have you been writing for and I said well yes three months um, and so I realized that this material was so uh, fraught with emotion for me that I needed some distance from it. Uh, and I needed, obviously, to think a little bit about my reader, not just my own feelings uh, faced by this uh, tragic event, but I needed to go through a reader. Um, so initially, I wrote, um, I started by writing fiction. Um, I think it's Emily Dickinson who says, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Uh, So I had to Mm. sort of take the slant of fiction 
Um, and I wrote, as you said, everything I wrote really came out of that event, although sometimes in a very disguised form. Uh, and my first book, which was a book called The Perfect Place, was actually written not by the victim or by the sister, the bereaved sister, but rather by the person who is responsible. And so in this way, I was able to take on the responsibility that I did feel, uh, you know, all the questions that came to me, why had we not done more than we had done for my sister? Uh, and I was able to face them in that way, writing through somebody who was responsible. Mm. Um, and, and then I wrote, you know, various versions of the story, one of which, uh, I think you mentioned, Cracks, which was uh, made into a movie, actually, uh, with Eva Green. Um, but, um, and then I, uh, I was gradually able to get closer and closer to the actual material uh, until I felt at this point that I could actually uh, write down the truth or anyway as close as I could come to the truth. For for the listeners, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, if you if you could your sister's death because it was particularly traumatic in my opinion and um, came out of trauma as well and I think that really comes through in what you're saying. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. Um, well, there had been in her case she married uh, a heart surgeon. Uh, who was a very brilliant uh, young man who actually was a doctor by the time he was 21. But right from the beginning of the marriage, um, there were signs that things were not right. And very reluctantly, my sister told me over the years that violence, uh, that my my brother-in-law was violent, not just with her, but with the children too. And there were six children when she died. Uh, so there was this history of battering. And finally, um, my mother called me and said that uh, she had been killed in an auto, automobile accident, that he had driven off the road, the, the husband was driving the car. It was a dry night, no other car coming. Um, he was not a drinker, you know, he was a heart surgeon. Um, and um, so I really was led to believe that this was, at best, a kind of suicide murder uh, and that he was responsible. Although nothing was said, he was not prosecuted, my mother did not want any scandal. And that was perhaps what made it particularly hard for me uh, because I wanted to get a lawyer. I wanted to go after him. But my mother, who was the one who said from the beginning that she could see this was about to happen, uh, and she kept saying, I think he's going to kill her. And I would say, mm. oh, don't exaggerate. Mm. Uh, but she, when he died, did not want any scandal. She said, think of the children, mm. which, I, which I did. They were young, very young children. Well, I wonder if that didn't also factor into choosing fiction as a way to express what was happening. You know, I, I, I interview a lot of people who've written memoirs, and so I've thought a lot about memoir. And just, you know, my story, which is nothing as, um, uh, you know, troubling or um, potentially scandalous, I guess, there are still aspects of it that would be very hard to tell without... Um, sort of fearing hurt, um, yes. and and yes. I wonder if that was within you too. Yes, of course. I mean, I did think of the children uh, because, as I say, they were so young, and um, for many years, also, they was my brother-in-law. Uh, because he was not killed in this auto accident. He was very mm. much alive, and there was his family, too. He actually remarried uh, a plastic surgeon. Um, so there were consequences uh, to actually trying to write down the truth. 
And this is something that, uh, obviously, with memoir, as you rightly point out, there are sometimes repercussions. Um, And certainly, I had to sit down, you know, with the lawyer at Penguin and go through the book to make sure that there was not anything that, you know, uh, could be liable, that I could be liable to be sued for. Um, So, um, there are these things that are... Uh, that one has to consider when you write a memoir. But I also felt at this point, uh, and this is 35 years later, that my sister had the right to have her story told, that she had never been able to tell anyone really what was happening Mm. because there were so many reasons not to. There was... um, even when she told me this, she would tell it to me sometimes in a fictional form. She'd say that it happened to a friend, uh, and then I would see how upset she was. Uh, and so, and then I would say, did this happen to you? And she'd say, well, I promise not to tell. There were so many silences. Uh, yes. And I think yeah, that was part of our upbringing at your time and place, too. This happened in South Africa. And it can happen anywhere, of course, and this unfortunately does happen anywhere. But I think it was particularly um, egregious uh, in South Africa because there was one, this white man's reputation to be upheld um, within society and as a doctor. Uh, and she said, when I said, well, you know, go to the police, and she said, no, no, I couldn't. He, he would be struck off the doctor's rolls. You know, he would lose his his position. Uh, so there were things that silenced her, and I felt that it's time for women to speak up and to speak mm. out. Uh, and I think that we see this today, unfortunately, still today, uh, Absolutely. years later, that we're silenced in many different ways. Yes, and, and also we're um, reduced, because one thing that really stayed with me from your book, your, your sister was very alive to me reading the book I'm glad. in 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 many many aspects not just that one aspect and your relationship with her was so alive to me that the that I could feel the loss you know what you had what you had yeah. lost in her and yeah. um to me that's a part of it as well there's this sort of dehumanizing thing that happens when someone is being abused where they they maybe don't get seen as a whole person either. Right. Um, right. So yes. that really stood out to me. Yes. Somebody, somebody who read the book said to me that, um, because I, uh, much of it, I don't know if you noticed, but much of it is in the present tense. Yes, uh, I did. And, yes, and, and somebody said to me, well, and I actually didn't think of this myself when I was writing it, but she said, I felt you use the present tense to keep her alive with you now. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was um, very perceptive. And it's true that the process of writing, uh, and I write about this in the book, uh, it is my way of keeping her with me, I suppose. And it's probably why I've turned back to the story so many times and in so many different ways to keep her, uh, my sister alive on the page. Well, you know, that brings up for me that uh, in terms of your childhood, I sort of had a feeling that you helped each other grow up, that you were each other's person, if you will. And, yeah. and, and does, that, does that resonate for you? Is that how it oh, felt absolutely, to you? Absolutely. I mean, she was the oldest sister, right? She was two years older than I was. So she knew all, and I was her shadow, you know, as a little girl, and I followed her around. And we were left a great deal of freedom. I mean, one, because of South Africa uh, and the privilege that we grew up in, in this beautiful garden, uh, where we had really freedom to roam, 
uh, because it was all enclosed uh, mm-hmm. and we were perfectly safe there. And the beautiful nature and the fact that the climate, of course, is so wonderful. So children are allowed to sort of run around barefoot and, and hardly clothed. Uh, and then to swim together and climb trees together and just have this wonderfully free, uh, in a way, sort of uh, like, it's almost like being in a, a paradise, a lost paradise for me oh. now, of course. Yes. Um, and well, it's time. Hold I'm sorry to interrupt. It it is time for our first break, but I want to come back to that because that's so essential in the way I understand your story is how connected you were, even though there was this separation going on because of what was going on in her life. And I, I want to talk more fully about that when we come back. And listeners, during the break, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find Sheila Kohler at www.SheilaKohler.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Sheila Kohler, author of Once We Were Sisters, and um, before the break, Sheila, we were were talking about how important it's been for you to keep her alive, and in... um, in those ways, you did very beautifully describe the garden and the the places you were, and also some of the traumas of childhood as well um, that you you kind of went through together. Yes. Um, can you can can you talk more about that? Yes. Um, for example, uh, well, obviously, the one uh, very important event in our lives was our father's death. And we were both very young. I was about seven and my sister was nine. Uh, and, um, and that is interesting, I think, because in the sense that, as I remember it, um, I'm not quite sure whether I was the one or my sister was the one who actually went into the bedroom that day that my father died. What happened was that 
whoever it was, whether it was my sister or, or me, was pushed out. There was a nurse, and she pushed me or my sister out of the room, and then uh, my sister came running back to me and said, uh, Daddy is dead. Um, and um, so uh, at that uh, so in my mind, I've sort of uh, muddled up the two of us, and I'm not mm. sure if she was the one who saw it or if I was the one who saw it, uh, and then uh, came back into the nursery to give me the news, because I both see my father lying dead on the bed, and I also see my sister running into the, our nursery and saying, Daddy's dead, and telling me what had happened. Uh, and then later my mother came in and uh, just told us very coldly. I'm not sure why she told it to us in a very uh, detached voice, well, your father has died. Uh, and she didn't embrace us or, or mm. uh, we never went to the funeral. Uh, we were just allowed to play in the garden. I suppose uh, she didn't want us to be um, upset. Uh, but I think, in a way, it's, it, was not, uh, it was not good for us. I think it would have been better if we had actually been confronted by the whole process of grieving, uh, which, in a way, she did not allow us to go through. Uh, and this is something that I, you know, we did together, obviously, and that we faced together in our very early childhood. It's interesting, too, because you were just saying a few minutes ago that um, the prohibition against talking about things. Um, yes. Well, you both learned that very young. Yes, uh, yes that's true. That's you know, true. it's a different circumstance, obviously, but this idea that you just don't talk about hard things and you just go on, uh, would that have been maybe favored by the way your mother dealt with that? Right. Absolutely. Yes. That. Uh, yes. Absolutely. Plus the fact that we were sent to um, a really an excellent boarding school, uh, but it was very much uh, impressed upon us uh, there that um, we should face life without complaint. That uh, you know, it was the English tradition, probably of sort of stiff upper lip. Uh, and that you thanked God for whatever was given to you. And we even would say grace before we ate, you know, uh, for what we are about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. Um, and, of course, the boarding school food was not very, was not very appetizing. <laughs> not, not something to be that thankful for. <laughs> <laughs> but but we, were, we were thankful for whatever. You were supposed to be thankful anyway for whatever was uh, given to you. Uh, and in some ways, it's helpful in life. I, I'm not, uh, I think that we learned discipline and we learned uh, to be persevering, which is also something that's been helpful to me. But at the same time, I think that we need to express our feelings and to and to be truthful with one another, to to some to be basically honest, because children know when we're lying to them, don't they? Yes, <laughs> that's that's I'm true. So. <laughs> yes, and then they, they uh-huh. learn to do it as well. Yes, right. to deceive themselves for one thing, and and not tell the whole truth to, to others. Right. So right. So then, um, you know, I I one way I looked at the book is that the two of you had quite different, um, parallel but parallel lives. For instance, I was, I was. Um, uh, thinking of the part of the book where your own husband was certainly not abusive, but, um, you know, um, having an affair and how you were at first just sort of tolerating that and how your mother suggested that you sort of just deal with it. Um, That seems in line with what we're talking about in a way. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. There's a certain amount of guilt there, I think. I think perhaps that was the burden, that instead of getting angry... Uh, with uh, the aggressor, if you will, because uh, in a way it is an aggression. 
I identified with my young husband. So when he told me he'd fallen in love with someone else and that he didn't know what to do and that he loved me but he loved her, I identified with him and I said, oh, it must be so terrible for you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and he was, you know, very Russian, pulling out his hair and, uh, and really sincerely seemed to feel... In a, in a terrible position, torn between these two women, coming back and forth, uh, instead of thinking, uh, well, what am I feeling here? I was wondering, I felt for him, yes. So uh -huh. it wasn't very helpful to me. Uh, of course, eventually I was able to um, leave him and go on with my life. Uh, but it took many years and a great deal of, of heart, heartache. And was, was your sister's death involved in that or what she was going through in her relationship part of getting ready to make that change? Well, I don't know. I, I, I felt afterwards very that I had been too preoccupied with my own problems and hadn't really been able to help her as much as I would have liked to be able to. Uh, but I think that is, I was the one who survived. I did survive. And I yes. was able to leave a husband who was making me suffer for whatever reason. Uh, yes. And eventually I was able to get out of that relationship and actually to go on and have a career uh, where I was able at least to use the sorrow and uh, what I had experienced and to put it down on the page and to go on with my life and, in fact, to remarry and uh, with uh, somebody who treated me with um, decently. Uh, and I, I don't know, but I do think that at some point I felt that I had to uh, leave Europe, come to America, and start life again, uh, and start on another footing. You know, I don't know that if this is your experience, but so many people who have lost someone go on to sort of feel as if they are... Um, living for that person in some sense you know that that your life matters double a little bit and um that sort of strikes me that way that uh, that um you saved your own life as it were you know and made your life uh full i guess in a way that she was not able to do Right, right. Well, that's a lovely way to look at it. Um, thank you for saying that. Uh, certainly, I did feel that by writing this book, I was able to give her a voice uh, and to tell her story. And though I don't think that one ever gets over something like this, uh, because she will always be with me. And in fact, mm. just a couple of days ago, I had a dream where um, I was looking for her telephone number. Mm. And, uh, and I thought, well, I must have my sister's telephone number. And I thought, well, maybe I could fax her. And then, of course, I, yeah, I realized, of course, that she was no more. Uh, so she's still alive in some part of me. And I think we all, those of us who've lost somebody that we're very close to, continue to dream about them. Uh, and in a way, probably writing about them is close to a dream, uh, although obviously there are, you know, it's structured and one has, it's work, it's work. Right. But the, the initial impulse to make contact with her is underneath there. Yes? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Or certainly to repeat. I think, you know, Freud is right about that with trauma, that one has the kind of need to go back over it as though you could relive it differently. And so you mm. keep returning to this uh, moment of loss uh, in order to try to alter it in some way. And each one of my books has been a different way of 
transforming that experience. Uh, so on the page, I have done that. Uh, though, of course, uh, in life, uh, one keeps living, uh, and there is no closure, uh, I don't think. I think I will return to this story in one way or another over and over again. Yes, and, um, you know, the I'm very relieved that those of us that work in the grief field are... Um, by and large, letting go of the idea of closure in general. Uh, that um, w- you know, how would we how would we close that love, for instance? Um, right. It, right. It's just not realistic. It's not what happens. And uh, I think and there you has don't been want to anyway. And you don't want to exactly. Right. Um, you know that uh, another experience I had reading uh, your book was just knowing. Because you described going to be with her body at the very beginning of the book, yeah. and um, and then you described being with her in all of these moments of your life, and there's some way that they were so vivid, knowing that they they would end for me, that you know, knowing yeah. the end at the beginning, um, every time you met somewhere or you know went on holiday somewhere there was this preciousness which of course you might have felt a little of at the time but not not in, in the same way I wouldn't imagine no, right right yes so it's looking back on it all that it obviously takes uh, on a kind of uh, glow for you uh, that perhaps uh, was not as much there and the photographs too very precious to me uh, because they also record the moment, uh, and I have some really lovely. That was one thing that my mother really did for me. When she died, she had a box of photographs, you know, uh, and um, I'm very happy to have those. And I was very happy that Penguin allowed me to use some of those in the book, and also, uh, particularly on the cover, which is uh, just yeah, a really adorable photo of my sister and me um, at the seaside. Having having fun, obviously. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover right now, and what what um, warmed me so much about it too is that they were little knitted swimsuits, which, being a knitter, is not easy to do and not have them fall off. <laughs> Here's Yarny so stretchy. They stretched, you know. Stretched exactly, and you just came both off right down your knees. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, but you just. But both look so pleased with yourselves, uh, I want to say, um, you know, just happy to be there and happy to be with each other. Um, I, you know, obviously we, our, our parents or whoever took the picture says, uh, you know, smile, but uh, these smiles look very authentic to me. Right, yes. No, I think, uh, you know, we were loved. We were loved. Uh, and I think uh, that you can see that. Yeah, we knew that. Uh, and though there were obviously difficulties in our childhood, uh, you know, our father dying so young and then our mother really were lovely as she was and generous, not being someone you could always count on. Um, all of that must have been made it harder for us to establish the kind of relationship that would bring us good things. But but still, we were loved children. And and you have certainly, uh, you know, been willing to en- engage with all those things. Well, willing, maybe driven to engage with all those things and and find your way through it. That's very clear to me from reading your book and now from talking with you. So, you know, you mentioned kind of this ongoing um, experience with the person we've lost that goes on over time and it is now 35 years. I would, I would love to talk when we get back from this, this uh, upcoming break about how, she shows herself in your life these days, having faced faced off with your, you know, with a memoir, the truth, quote unquote, as best we can find it. Um, how that's impacted, you know, the way you carry her in your life. So let's talk about that when we get back. Okay. Uh, 
and you know listeners you can go to my page at good grief good grief at voice america you can go to my website weatheringgrief.com and you can find sheila kohler at sheilakohler.com back after the break Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Sheila Kohler. Uh, the author of Once We Were Sisters, in which she talks about her relationship with her sister and her death, in which uh, her brother-in-law was implicated. And um, before the break, I would kind of introduced the subject of, of how it is now for you. And uh, we also talked during the break about um, you reading some things, which I would love. But can you say a word about how your relationship with her is now in your life? Yes. Well, having written this memoir, one of the wonderful things about it is that um, people react differently to a memoir. I've written all the fiction, of course, and one does have some, obviously, you know, critics or people who might write to you. But when you write a memoir, it's as if people uh, knew you and that you had become their friend. Uh, so they also tell you about their lives, uh, and that's been wonderful. So I've heard about other people's losses, uh, sisters or brothers or who, whatever, or unfaithful husbands, the things that my story has sparked in their minds. Uh, and that's been um, wonderful for me. And then, of course, I've talked about... With, uh, you know, last night I was at a class, at, at went to a craft class and was talking with other writers uh, about the whole process of writing uh, and how to try to accomplish uh, a finished work that stands on its own. Um, and so this whole process uh, has made me perhaps see my own story differently too. Uh, and people have uh, pointed things out to me that I was not always aware of. And one of them I mentioned, you know, about writing in the present tense uh, in order to keep uh, my sister alive on the page, at least. Yes. Um, so uh, I think uh, in some ways it's painful because obviously each time that you have to confront the situation, it brings up uh, old memories and, and well, your grief that you have to face talking about it. 
Uh, yes. But at the same time, it's wonderful to share your feelings with other people who might react and who might feel similarly so that one begins to feel that you're in a community uh, of, of people who are going through similar experiences for one reason or another and that one's not alone. Uh, and I think that's why we write, after all. Um, well, for various reasons, but one of the reasons is to try to take other people out of their own uh, experience and life and lift them into another place and another time, perhaps, and then at the same time to connect with whatever grief or, or joys or experiences they've had um, so that they feel that they're not alone. Uh, and I yes. think this is, as a young girl, uh, being amongst adults who didn't always understand what I was feeling, uh, but it was in books that I found so often that kind of feeling, oh, someone else felt this, somebody else has been through this, I'm not alone, uh, and that's wonderful, I think. Well, and you're, you're talking about the value to you of that, to that human connection, but also that's an act of service, I would say, that when you are willing to share your experience, it serves other people because they're liberated to speak about theirs as well. I don't know if you think of it that way, but um, that's very, um, very true to me in reading the book, that it would open up people and, and make it uh, possible for them to tell their truths a little bit more. Yes, I hope so. I hope so. It takes courage to face the truth or something <laughs> close to it, it does. Yes, uh, yes. And, but it can be very helpful, I think, uh, in our lives to share that with other people and, and so that one feels that one's part of a community of souls, if you, if you will. Absolutely. Let's let people hear a little bit from the book itself so they, they get a sense of... of um, what we're talking about in terms of the writing, too. Okay. Um, I thought I might read uh, this uh, short chapter called Voyages, or some of it anyway. Um, it's just sort of somewhere towards the beginning of the, of the book. My sister and I are always flying long distances back and forth to meet in beautiful places. We meet in South Africa, travel to the game reserve together with my new husband soon after I marry Michael, laughing at old jokes. We meet in France and tour the countryside together to study art. We stand in stunned silence in the shadows of ancient Romanesque churches, looking up at the round stone arches with wonder. We travel to England, to Scotland, where Carl is specializing in thoracic surgery to Switzerland to ski, we go to Greece to visit the Greek temples, we stand on the Acropolis and gaze out at the city below, we travel to Italy with our growing families. All these visits with my sister over the years in many famous places have run together in my mind. They hardly seem real to me. They have become a song, a litany, a sung prayer, its distinct notes chiming mournfully in my mind. Like mother's words when she tells of her travels with our father, the places ring in my mind repeatedly. Ah, Bance, Lake Louise, mother says with a sigh, or Big Sir, Carmel, reciting the litany of her voyages to people who have never been there. I see Maxine turning to me, laughing on a boat, the wind whipping her curls, standing clutching her guide bleu to her swelling stomach in the shadows of a stone church. I remember our trips to Zermatt in Switzerland, the children standing together for a photograph with their skis at their sides like spears. I recall the long, arduous voyages out to South Africa with small children to visit her in her home in Johannesburg and a trip to Edinburgh, Scotland, where I stay in a hotel room where you have to put money in the meter for heat and she does the dishes in her fur coat. 
<laughs> so that's just one of the passages where I try to remember some of the moments that we spent together. And and didn't try to make them, um, you know, a, a paragraph per location. It it felt to me reading that like that's how you experience it. That they're sort of they sort of curve into each other and. Um, uh, you know, I think of this myself. I'll often remember my wife. Uh, these little, these little moments with her, and mm-hmm. if I'm thinking of her, they, they, one leads to another. They're all connected in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I think of when I hear you read that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yes, so many uh, wonderful. Uh, memories also of our childhood together in the garden and uh, various moments like that. But uh, I think of our memories, after all, are, uh, as a writer particularly, our memories are extremely important. Uh, it's that that enables us to uh, recreate something on the page. Hmm. Even if you're making fiction, it has to be based on something... Uh, something you know is that what you're you know yes, that absolutely absolutely uh obviously uh people write in different ways but for me uh writing is always sort of uh, i see it happen almost before my eyes uh as though it were passing on a screen uh so places are very important um and uh images and so that's the way uh, I write. Other people perhaps use uh, language more, um, but it, it often for me is just as though I, I see it. At first I see it vaguely, and then some of the details, more of the details come to me uh, mm. as I'm writing. Yes, yeah, a wonderful thing of surprises on the page. So, so you're, more, you're, you're, uh, you're using visual um, acuity a lot, which makes yeah. sense to me because I felt as if I could see what you were describing. Uh, oh, so that, God. yes, very much so. And the other thing that comes to my mind is that um, it, the importance you had for her seems so crystal clear and obvious to me because regardless of what was going on in that marriage, she managed to get places to see you. Yes, we did. We did. We would escape from time to time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and, she, and she found that worth the risk, you see, <laughs> yes, <laughs> is what I'm yes. thinking, you know. Because, right, right. you know, I'm thinking having, having um, worked with people who, who have... Uh, you know, an explosive partner just saying, I want to do blank can be <laughs> a hard thing to do, you know. Absolutely, um, absolutely, yes, absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately, I think that we, particularly uh, in that time and that place, were not taught sufficiently to speak up and say what we wanted. And I see young women around me today who are able to do that so much more successfully than we were able. Uh, And um, I applaud that. I think we have to speak up. Uh, And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. Um, And I hope it will uh, reach uh, readers and be helpful to them. Yes, and also your, uh, I did read a lot of your blog at Psychology Today, and I highly recommend that you talk about those subjects um, directly, how to stand up to people, how to speak your mind, how, um, you know, how important it is to ask for what you want, and uh, those kinds of issues just seem, you know, that's uh, a calling, I suppose, because of what you've seen can happen when people don't know how to do that. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for mentioning the blog. Um, I I have tried to do it. I began writing that when uh, I wrote Dreaming for Freud, which was uh, based on the Dora case, you know, one of Mm -hmm. Freud's very early cases. And I started writing, and I think it helped me actually to write the memoir 
because uh, they're often, I start usually from a personal, something that has happened to me and try to extrapolate from there a situation that might be meaningful to my readers. Um, and um, you're absolutely right. That's one of my most recent blogs was exactly that, uh, watching some uh, young woman who seemed to know how to handle men much, much better than I did uh, <laughs> and who had learned very young how to do that. Uh, and I think there are people who, who know today uh, women who have, uh, who have the courage to voice their desires. And if people don't know what you want, you're not going to get it. That's for sure. Well, and I have to think that, um, you know, I have three daughters. So a big focus of my attention was sort of how do they feel empowered to protect themselves and find themselves important and all that. Um, I think that... it. It's not just something we have at birth. It's something, in at least in this world, we have to learn as women. Do you agree? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I think um, certainly uh, one, of, one of the advantages of going older is that, first of all, you know who you are a little more clearly. Yes. Uh, and I think I had to... Uh, and I write about that too in the book. Leave South Africa, leave my mother, leave and, uh, my, even my sister to go abroad and, and find out who I was. We're, and, to, and we're going to have to leave it there for today because we're running out of time. But thank you so much for being with me. And I hope people you. will go read the book. It's very beautiful. Thank you, thank thank you, you so much. much for being with me thank today. And listeners, next week I'll I'll have Janice Johnston, the author of Midlife Maze, A Map to Recovery and Rediscovery After Loss. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.